Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Trust, just trust God. I want to encourage you to trust God this holiday season to use you. And, and just, you know, some of your family members, they may not even know what the presence of God feels like. But when they come to your home or sit down to eat across the table from you, man, let them experience the peace of God. Let these things follow you this holiday season. Amen. I just, I felt, um, I wanted to share about what is following you. And I, I want, let the peace of God follow you this holiday season. I want to start off today with reading, um, Psalm 23. You know, it's not just for, um, for funerals. It's, it's for us. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come right there. Think about that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That right there is a powerful truth, isn't it? I don't have a want. It doesn't say I shall not need. It says I shall not want. I shall not want. I, I have God. I don't want for anything else. I have all that I need is in him. That's a beautiful place to be, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, come on, there's places we've got to walk when we're in this world, right? You know, Joyce, you've been walking through this court case. You know, you're walking through. I mean, I, we walked with Jay and Kaylee as they were trying to find a place to live. We, we go through stuff. It's not a problem to go through stuff. But what does it say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Come on, say that. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Man, the Lord's in the valley. You meet the Lord in the valley. It's an amazing thought right there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, your rod and your staff for a shepherd, that would imply correction and discipline and guidance, right? You know, so they're comfort. You know, King David, who wrote this, said, man, you know, your your law, your word, it, it, you know, it, it he, he, he loved it. It's, he's like, it's my life. It's my comfort. It's my peace. It's everything. And we, we need not be afraid of the discipline of the Lord, his rod or his staff. He wants to take us to better places in him. Not necessarily better places where, you know, I'm going to sit at home in my mansion and have my Corvette, you know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, we'll leave the door open. But, but, but what we're talking about, he wants to take us in places in the kingdom of God where we can be effective here on this earth. And that's what he has for us. But we're not going to get there by just staying the same. We need to become something we're not, right? And and when you go and you start doing something that you've never done before, what do you need? You need discipline. You start a, a, a running program, you know, the couch to 5K or something like that. What do you get? You get a schedule. I'm going to run this much this way, this much this day. And it's progressively harder, as you work and you build and you come to the place where you, at the end of that schedule, you can do something that you've not been able to do before. There are things that we have not yet done and experienced in the kingdom of God that he wants for us to come to a place where we can do them. 
But we have to yield to his instruction and we have to yield to his discipline. So we need to be very comfortable with that rod and that staff. Man, it comforts me because I know he's looking out for me. I'm not on my own waffling and just roaming around. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's good. That's good. I like that. I don't know where that came from, but it's good. Listen, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is how I know this passage is for right here, not for just going to heaven. In this earth, I don't have enemies in heaven. Do you have enemies in heaven? (laughs) If you do, you should probably make peace with them. You know, (laughs) you shouldn't have enemies in heaven, right? People in heaven should be people who are our brothers and sisters in Jesus. We should not have enemies in heaven. Our enemies are here. Your enemy, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion. That's your enemy, right? Satan, evil spirits. Those are your enemy. People are not your enemy. And your enemy is right here. And right here in the presence of your enemy, he prepares a table for you. A bountiful feast right in the presence of your enemy. Who would want to eat there? Think about it. But he is so, his goodness and his kindness and, and, and the, uh, who he is in you can bring you to a place where you can sit down and have a feast right in the presence of your enemy and not even be stressed out about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Right there in the middle of the battle you're going through. You know, you don't have to be up all night worried about it. You don't have to be stressed about it. Oh, I can't eat, man, because I'm going through this thing. And until that court case is resolved Monday, I can't eat. No, you can eat right now in the presence of your enemy. A table that he's prepared for you. Well, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. You know what that means. It means he keeps pouring and it just keeps overflowing. And he just keeps pouring anyway. It was like, here, catch this, because it just keeps overflowing. <laughs> Let me go spend it before it gets wasted. You know what I'm saying? But he just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. He just keeps giving and giving and giving. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You feel like you should pray at the end of that, don't you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So my question today is this. I'm going to zero in on that last line. Uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What is following you? You meet a lot of different people, you know. And my, my my question is, can I truly say in my life that goodness and mercy is following me? Because you meet people and you say, man, look at that guy. You've heard the expression, trouble just follows him wherever he goes. You know, he's in trouble with his job. He's in trouble with his employer. He's in trouble with the law. I've never seen a person be in so much trouble. It's like trouble is just following him. You know, or how about um, hardship? You know, some people, uh, you know, it's like, man, things have just been hard for him. He's lost his employment. He lost his family. You know, people have gone through that. And you look at people and you think, man, how can so much hardship just be following a person? And you feel for them. Or how about the drama person? <laughs> Everywhere they go, drama, drama, drama. You know, you know. I don't know. I have somebody in mind, okay? <laughs> Everywhere they go, it's drama, drama, drama. And I'm like, how in the world can so much drama be happening? 
You know, how many, how, why are you always at the wrong place at the wrong time for all this drama to be happening? How, how is this drama following you everywhere you go? But you know, that's none of those are supposed to be your story or my story. We're supposed to be people that the world looks at and they says, man, goodness and mercy are following them everywhere they go. There's goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is not just something to say in church. This is something that is supposed to be uh, that we, our story, your story, how you live. And you've got to be careful, you know, because a lot of the things that, you know, uh, we, we attract, you know, just be honest, they can be our own doing. There are attacks, but there are certain things that we do bring on ourselves. We need to be careful about that, you know. We bring things on ourselves by our actions, our expectations, and our attitude. Think about this, your actions. You know, there's a word in the Bible that nobody hardly ever says from the pulpit anymore, um, and it's called sin. And the reason we don't say it, I mean, it's, you know, sin literally means to miss the mark. And, you know, it's one of those words that sound like too religious or too judgmental. So we usually say, man, I made poor, poor choices or wrong decisions. Well, you know, we're trying to explain this concept, so I'm not going to jump on anybody for not using the good King James Bible word sin. But sin, does it, it's a, it is a Bible concept, and it has to do with, you know, if you're like shooting, if you imagine shooting an arrow at the target, rather than miss the bullseye, the arrow just falls short of the target. That's what sin actually means. Greek word, uh, harmatea, I think, right? Something along that lines. Where's my Greek scholars? Jay, am I right? Come on. <laughs> Uh, but the word means to miss the mark. You're shooting at something and you fell short. That's why the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short. What did we fall short of? We fell short of the glory of God. Right. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Okay. Well, how do we fall short of the glory of God every day? Because by our decisions, by our actions, you know, poor choices. You know, those can be another way to describe sin, right? Now, the way you could describe sin would be evil. You know, the devil was a sinner from the beginning. The devil is the epitome of everything that's evil. To miss the mark, to come short of the glory. Oh, but thank God he didn't leave us there, did he? I mean, what did Jesus come to do? The captain of your soul shall lead many sons to glory. The glory restored, man. He wants to bring us back to glory. Adam and Eve were created, and God crowned them with glory. You read that in Psalm chapter 8. But then all sin fell short of the glory. And then Jesus comes to redeem us back to that glory. He places us in him, in the glory. That's a good thing. But see, our, our decisions and our actions, they can bring trouble into our lives. They can. Our actions. You know what else can? Our expectations. Do you know negative expectations actually can draw negativity into your life? Think about Job. You remember how, how hard he had it, right? You know, he lost everything, man. He lost his property, his family, and his wife kept telling him, curse God and die. And what does it say in Job chapter 3, verse 25? Job is complaining, and he says, The thing that I fear comes upon me, that which I dreaded befalls me. 
for Job, he was constantly afraid that one of his kids might have sinned and he'd get up and offer sacrifices to God on behalf of them just in case they sinned and cursed God. And, and, and he was constantly afraid of this thing. And instead of helping his family, he actually drew this thing toward him. We can't walk in fear. We can't have, he, we can't have negative expectation. We need instead to be like the Apostle Paul. You remember what he said in Romans 8, verse 37? He says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Come on, that's good. No matter what else is going on, I am not worried. Why? Because God loves me and nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can come between that. And if he loves me, it's going to be okay. Somehow or other, it's going to be okay. Even if I don't get to experience it completely in this life, I'm going to be with him. And it's going to be okay. I'm not worried about it. I can be a conqueror with that mindset instead of always being fearful. Oh my God, what if that happens? You know, the worry of, I heard somebody say this years ago and I've remembered it. Worrying about it is like living through it twice. (laughs) That thing that you're worried about, that you're staying up all night stressing over, if it doesn't happen, you still worried about it like it really did. Maybe don't worry about it. You know, what's the one person say? I don't worry about the things that I can't control because I can't control them. I don't worry about the things I can control because I can control them. So at the end of the day, worrying, what Jesus say? Doesn't even add a, a stature, a hair on your head or a stature to your height or a minute to your life, right? It, it doesn't worry. The fruit of worry is negative expectation. You're setting yourself up for a failure. You know what self-fulfilling prophecy is, right? See, I told you it wouldn't work. <laughs> well, what if it does work? Well, with that attitude, it's not going to work because you're going to make sure it doesn't work because you don't expect it to work. So if God's telling you to do something, go out, take a step, expect him to come through, expect it to work for you, expect that goodness and mercy are following you. Come on, that's good. I think that's good. I like it. I'm going to listen to this and get saved or something. (laughs) I'm going to change my ways, repent. The other thing, the other uh, way we can attract things to ourselves is attitude, you know. Uh, we, 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 need to, we need to have the right attitude even going through hard times, right? Because the Bible doesn't say that we will not have any trouble in this life. In fact, the Bible says exactly the opposite. You will have trouble in this life. It does, right? Um, think about uh, the Apostle Paul, okay? He's over here preaching. I mean, he just gets a person healed, miraculous healing. Everybody's like just excited about him. They're thinking, you know, um, that he's some manifestation of, of Zeus or Mars or one of those gods. I can't remember. And, and so he's trying to steer the crowds to Jesus. And meanwhile, Jews come in from the last town that he was at. And it says in Acts 14, 19 that they came and they persuaded the crowds and they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city and they left him for dead. The Apostle Paul, roadkill, left on the side of the road, just left for dead. And then verse 20 says, the disciples gathered around him and he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to the next town, Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples. Come on, God still, I mean, this guy probably has welts and everything else all over him from the stone. I mean, you understand, they stoned him. They thought he was dead. 
And, and he walks into the next city and many disciples come into the kingdom. God's working in this man, right? So they return uh, to Lystra and then it says they st- in verse 22, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's a whole lot different than the gospel that we preach in our country. I'm sorry, it just is. Our gospel is like, man, you, you're already a basically good person. You have a pretty good life. Why don't you just add Jesus to that? And here is Paul, man, a beat up and abused from just having attempted murder. He's still carrying the marks of that. And he's telling them, you know, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And they're looking at that man saying that, what do you think? They're willing, they are ready to lay down their lives for the gospel at that point, just like they watched him do by example. Where's that example in the church today of people who will lay down their lives? I mean, you know, we can't even, you know, lay down. I don't, I don't want to be mean, but think about where's the sacrifice? Where's the being crucified with Christ? Where's the laying down of my life for his life? We all want resurrection life, but you've got to go through death before there's resurrection life. And God wants to take us to this place, but we're going to have to do something we've not done before. We're going to have to submit to his leadership and his discipline, right? I didn't really plan on going this direction, but I don't know. It just feels right. (laughs) It just feels right. Maybe it's because we're coming into the holidays and those of you who are not excited about it (laughs) need to realize that this is an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God through hardship. (laughs) I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case. But, hey, you know, use whatever opportunity. Uh, John 16, 33, Jesus said to you that I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. Because why? In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. But he left us in the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. But as long as you're in the world, he says you're going to have tribulation. People are going to oppose you. Things are going to come against you. The devil is not working for you. He's working against you. There will be hardships, but don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. And in me, you have overcome the world too. That's what he said. It, okay, big deal, Jesus. You've overcome the world, but then you leave me here? No, he said, you're good in me. I mean, at this point in the book of John, they didn't really quite fully understand what was about to happen. You know, when he goes and sends the Holy Spirit and they find themselves in him baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, yeah, they were a world overcomers too. What's, uh, what's John said? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Come on. Greater is he who is in you right now, presently in you. He is greater than he who is in the world. So take heart, man. You're going through trouble. Man, learn to draw on his strength that's in you. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. <laughs> hey, here's a fiery trial coming, and when it comes, don't be surprised about it. <laughs> oh, come on, I'm surprised every time I get a fiery trial. Like, really? How did this happen to me? He says, when it happens, don't be surprised. It's going to come. It's par for the course. When it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It comes to everybody. You, you know, you're not lack of faith. Necessary, you know, you, you're, you're, you're not in, in sin. The fiery trial just came to you like it comes to everybody. Don't be surprised. Right? 
You know, we all go through things. My question to you is this. How does one person face a, a horrible, difficult challenge and still walk with a bounce in his step and a smile on his face? And somebody else meets just the slightest opposition and they melt like a snowflake and they curl up and they want to die. Come on, a lot of that is what? It's your attitude in the trial. It's your attitude. You've got to keep the right attitude. No matter what, come on, you will never be separated from the love of God. Never. He goes on, you know, after he says this, don't worry about it, don't don't freak out like something strange is happening to you, verse 13, but rejoice. (laughs) But rejoice in the trial. Yeah, in the trial. Come on, they did this. He didn't, he's not just writing this. They were in the prison stocks, you know, chain, you know, their feet in the stocks, sitting there in the inner prison, singing hymns to God. Okay. He lived this. If you want the miraculous escape from prison, first you've got to be in prison. And then you've got to have the right attitude while you're in prison. Like, I don't know about you. I would just skip that miracle in my life. I don't need to be in prison. <laughs> Come on. That, it's just real. We don't want any trouble. But you know, where is God? Where do you meet him? You meet him in the lion's den. You meet him in the fiery furnace. You meet him in the inner prison. He says, rejoice so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Come on, there's that glory again, right? He wants to restore us to the glory. And even in these situations, he can reveal his glory in you. And he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You don't feel blessed, but you are blessed. Because why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Right there in the prison, right there in the trial, right there in the fiery furnace. That's where you meet God. I love Psalm 91. Some of you, you know, possibly it's one of those chapters many people read every day, quoted over themselves and their families, and it's a good one, Psalm 91. Uh, Verse 15, Psalm 91 says, Whenever he calls to me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. Where is God? (laughs) With me in trouble. (laughs) If I was uh, one of those kind of preachers who knew how to come up with a phrase and just preach for an hour on it, I'd preach about uh, when God gets in trouble. (laughs) Because he'll be with me in trouble. I think sometimes he's waiting for us to actually go, not not sin, but go and confront the evil in the world and the pushback, the resistance, the trouble that comes as a result of it. He says, don't worry about it. I'm with you. Keep advancing. Keep moving. You know what I'm saying? I want to bring my kingdom into this world, and there's going to be a point of friction where it comes. You know, when a, when a storm front moves through, there's that rain band with, you know, you know, a cold front moves into a warm front or vice versa. Right there where that front comes in, there's that friction, right, where, where the one mass of air meets the other mass of air, and storms happen. Well, when you bring light into darkness, there's going to be that point of friction where... it's going to look like a storm. It's going to look like trouble. It's going to be pushed back from the enemy. It's going to be temptation, tribulation, and oppression. But he says, don't worry about it. You're blessed right here on this front edge. Keep going. Keep pushing. My glory rests upon you right here. So when you're with your family on the holidays, man, 
God's glory will rest upon you right there. Come on. His glory rests upon you. I'll be with you him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. You can't be rescued if you're never in trouble. Can you tell the Bible actually expects us to get in trouble from time to time? <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> but it's true. He actually expects us to be in trouble. So learn how to see his goodness and mercy while you're in the middle of the trial. Learn how to rejoice in the middle of the trial. Have the right attitude in the middle of the trial. Don't melt like a snowflake. Be a person that God can use. Stand strong. Amen? So this passage that ends with, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, it begins with this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. If we would come to a place where we can truly say that his goodness and his mercy is following me, I also need to be at a place where I allow him to shepherd me. I need to submit to his leading, his guiding. I need to stay close to him, right? You know, when Jesus came, I'm going to read you this verse from Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, and he's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the kingdom of the, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Come on, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Healing every, I love that. You know, you see, you see these examples of him healing people and they seem so dramatic, but then you pass over these little verses like this and it's like healing everyone, every disease, every affliction. Just, I mean, that's all of them. Every means every. I mean, where he went, anybody who came to him, they went back healed. Bam. Love it. Every disease and every affliction. And when the crowds, when he saw the crowds, listen to his heart here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This is what was motivating him to heal them, to help them, to lead them, to teach them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, in God's way of thinking, to have sheep without a shepherd is a problem. Because sheep need a shepherd. And they're being harassed and they're, they're helpless. I mean, and here Jesus comes in and he says, I'll be your shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I want to shepherd you. What does a shepherd do? You know, I'm, I've never, I've, I've only had one or two sheep growing up. I've never had a flock of sheep, but you know, you hear the stories and, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know how the sheep, they hear the shepherd's voice. They follow him. They stay close to him. He protects them. He leads them out to pasture where they can eat. He just looks after them, doesn't he? He cares for them. He leads them uh, to find, you know, I, I think as Jesus being our shepherd, it's both physical food. He'll take care of our physical needs as well as your spiritual food, you know. But let him shepherd you. A sheep who stays close to the shepherd does not have to fear the lion or the bear. But you've got to stay close. If you're one of those sheep who always like to be out there on the fringe, come on, that's the one in the nature shows that would get eaten. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen, you know, sheep grazing in Africa on one of those shows. But <laughs> but you've seen the other animals, man, and they all start running, man. <laughs> imagine, you know, the, imagine it being sheep. Those ones out there playing around the fringe areas, they're the ones that are going to get attacked by the wolf, the lion, and the bear. You stay close to your shepherd, you don't have to worry about it. But you've got to stay close. I mean, he'll come after you, but come on, God honors our choices. We can resist him. I mean, this whole book is a book about Israel resisting him and him still working through them in spite of them. 
to bring about what he planned to do. Come on, I don't want to be somebody that God uses in spite of me. I want to be somebody who cooperates with what God is doing on the earth. I want to be somebody he can use. I want to be somebody who stays close to him and hears his voice. And then I don't have to worry about the wolf coming or the, the bear or the lion because I'm close to the shepherd. I want to listen and obey. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And this is what Jesus was seeing going on in Israel. Man, these people who were leading them, they weren't shepherds. They didn't care anything about the sheep. They weren't their sheep. And when the wolf came, they just let him scatter him. They weren't protected. That Your shepherd will protect you. He will keep you. You can find comfort in his protection. And this is a picture of the heart of God toward you and me. He wants to shepherd us. Sometimes, you know, in our own hurt and our own confusion and things, we'll push him away. But don't do that. Let him heal you. Go through whatever process he has for you. Let him work on your heart. Don't be afraid to face those things together with him. He'll bring you to a better place. He'll heal us, he'll shepherd us, and he'll lead us into fruitful places. If you don't, here's my point. My point of this is this. If you don't feel like goodness and mercy are following you and pursuing you, get closer to the shepherd. Right? Get closer to the shepherd. So what is following you? Goodness and mercy? You know, there's a couple more verses I'd like to share just because I I, I have the time to get them in. Yeah, I'm going to take it anyway. You know that. No, uh, things. You know, the world is constantly in pursuit of things, right? Things, material things. You know, we're getting ready for Christmas, and we all say Jesus is the reason for the season. But, you know, it's good to say, but most people don't really believe that. Walmart doesn't believe that. <laughs> they don't. Sam's Club doesn't believe. Dillard's does not believe Jesus is the reason for the season. They believe getting my books in the black is the reason for the season. They believe selling merchandise is the reason for the season. The world, you know, they believe celebration is the reason for the season. We know Jesus is the reason for everything. But it's very easy for that, that truth, that message to get lost in this world because the majority of our culture does not really believe that. The good news is this. God knows that we need things. There are things that we need, and he's very happy to provide. He wants to provide, you know, Poverty, I really believe this. You know, I know there's people who take um, uh, preaching on, you know, what, what we've labeled prosperity preachers. I know there are people who go too far with that message, okay? But I really do believe that poverty is an enemy of God. If you think about it, he made a world with enough abundance in here for everybody to have food. He did, okay? And the lack comes because people try to control and come in the middle of that and control it and jack up the prices. But he's he's a God of abundance. I mean, we just read it in Psalm, uh, Psalm 23. My cup overflows. He has enough to pour out, right? So, so you know, if you think about, uh, you know, what he did on the cross, man, you know, he came and to, to, he's looking after our bodies and our peace of our minds and our, our spirits. And if you think about poverty, if you get enough poverty, 
It will lead to sickness, malnourishment, death. So if you look at the negative side, you realize that's God's enemy. He's a God of abundance. He is. Uh, Having stuff does not bother him. He doesn't freak out about it. He's not trying to keep you broke or poor. He wants to get things through you because he wants to bless people through you. He doesn't want anybody to be in want or in need. Enough poverty and people die. Think about the end times. What are some of the things the scripture talks about the end time? It talks about famine, right? What's that? Lack. And what's, what, what follows famine? Pestilence and death. Those are his enemies. Those horsemen, those horse riders in Revelation, those are his enemies. That's not what he wants for you and for me or for the world. And he's willing to take care of our physical needs. I'm going to remind you of Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 33. He says, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, how's it say? The Gentiles seek after all these things. The Gentiles, the word Gentiles is the word for the nations. You know, we could say all the nations of the world. In the Greek, it's actually the word ethos. It's the word for ethnic groups. All the different ethnic groups from the very beginning of time, that's what they seek after. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? And what am I going to wear? That's just the way it's been from the beginning of time. Why? Because you need to eat, you need to drink, and you need to wear something, you know? Only if you've grown up in America or, or a country that's, that's you know, like a first world country, can you have the luxury of not having to think every day about what you're going to eat. And in most of the world, they wake up and their goal is to get food to eat that day. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Because why? If they don't, they're going to die. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. If you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll provide these things. These things will be added to you. They'll be following you. Right? So what? If you don't have goodness and mercy following you, get close to your shepherd. If you don't, if you feel like you have lack in your life, put the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. Pursue the kings of the things of God. And you know, it's not always easy because there's no one size that fits all when you say a state, a blanket statement like this, you know, because some of you probably need to really cut back a little bit and spend more time (laughs) seeking God. Some of you probably (laughs) need to go out and get a job. Right. You know, not not you. I'm speaking very general, speaking to those who will be listening. But, you know, there are people who need to go get a job and keep it. Come on. That's a blessing to have a job and keep it. Right. I'm not promoting idleness. You know, we are not called to be idle. Nobody in the Bible is called to be idle at all. The Bible says a lot of negative things about people who are idle. And it says a lot of positive things about people who work and provide for their families or provide for their own needs. In fact, if you read it, there are even requirements in the New Testament that if you want the distribution of food and you're a widow, you have to be widowed, you have to be filled with good deeds and good works before you're even allowed to be on the list. Because nobody is allowed to be idle. Okay, I'm not talking about idleness, but as we seek first the kingdom, we have different callings and different things, but as we seek first the kingdom, he'll meet our needs. He wants to be the source for your, your, your daily needs. He really does. But understand, he's the source. He has many channels. And if you seek him, he may, he may give you a job. And it may be a job you really like. And that would be a blessing, wouldn't it? That would be a blessing. There are requirements. Um, 
I read that the requirements for the widows, but we're expected to seek his kingdom first. So if there are things in your life that you need, press in, press into the kingdom. And then, you know, this verse always reminds me of, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'll read that another time. I'm going to go jump to the next one. It came to me as I was preparing, but I don't want to get off. God took it a little different direction. We're just going to stay with, with it. Okay. So finally, my last verse about, it's not my last verse, but it's close to my last verse. Well, what is following you? Mark 16, 17, and 18, it talks about the believer. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. The King James says, these signs shall follow those who believe. And then it goes on and it lists these things that they will do. In my name, they will cast out demons, speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands, their hands on the sick and they'll recover. There, are, there is supernatural miracles supposed to be following you and me. The goodness and mercy of God, the things that we need, pursuing and overtaking us, and the supernatural is supposed to be following us wherever we go. You know, is it wrong to seek signs? No, not, I mean, not especially if you're unsaved, because what? A sign is supposed to point you to Jesus, right? That's what a sign is. Follow this sign, it will lead you to your destination, you know? So here's you know, when I pray for you and you've sensed the God's peace or presence or you see him get you a home or a miracle in your life, that's a sign, man. Those things are supposed to point you to Jesus. But if you're a believer and you're already walking with him, these signs are, these, these miracles are supposed to be following you, right? You're not supposed to spend your life following them. Once you come to Jesus, they're supposed to be following you. Why? Because you're walking with Jesus. Come on, so what's following you? Are signs and miracles and wonders following you? If you're a believer, they are supposed to be following you. And if you don't have signs following you, if you don't feel like God is hearing your prayers or answering your prayers, if you're afraid of these things, if you're afraid of serpents and scorpions, you know, when I read that uh, and it talks about picking up serpents and different things, I think of Psalm 91, right? How the Bible describes, or even um, Luke 10, 19, when Jesus says, you'll tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. It's an allusion to Psalm 91. He will tread on the serpent, you know? Um, that's the authority that you and I are supposed to have over Satan, over the powers of darkness in this world. That's what we're supposed to be. And if these things are fearful to you, if you feel like they're always attacking you and they always have the upper hand, what is the solution? We need to become established in what we believe because the Bible says these signs will follow believers. Believers. We need to believe. We need to establish ourselves in what we believe. And, um, you know, it, it may, I'll be honest, it may be a process. There have been several times in my life where this has happened in a major way where I have looked at what I was believing and I said, God, is what I'm believing accurate? Is it true? Is it Bible? Because, you know, we can get to the point where we start listening to people we like and we accept it as truth. Do you know what I mean? And I was working in the cabinet shop. I was working for long hour days. I'd put in my earbuds. I'd listen to preachers that I liked. And I got to a point where I said, God, I'm just going to take a moment before you. I'm not, I'm not abandoning my faith or anything like that. But I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to just question everything I'm hearing and make sure it's scriptural. And I took that time in my life. I did that several times in my life. Well, God, I'm not sure. I want to make sure I'm on track. 
I'm going to examine what I'm believing, what I'm saying without thinking, what I'm listening to and accepting. And, and it wasn't all negative. I would listen to some preachers and I would hear them say something and I'd be like, God, I really don't believe that. I really don't see that in the scripture and I really don't believe that. And I would deal with it. But then I would go positive too. And when I'd hear them say something that was, that was right, I'd be like, God, I believe that. That's a, that's a wonderful thing, but that's scriptural. That is truth. And it's okay to examine yourself because why? We want to be established in what we believe. We want, because what you believe is really, you know, like I've said before, your heart is the driver's seat of your life. What you believe in your heart is really how you're living. So take some time to get familiar with what's in your heart. And know what you believe because these signs will follow those who are believers. How do I believe God? Very quick application here. I need to give God more credibility than my circumstances. I need to give God more credibility than my experiences. Just because I've done it this way before and, and, and I, I, I couldn't do it doesn't mean that my circumstances dictate truth to me now, does it? My experiences, I was wrong. I did something wrong. God, help me. Change me. I want to live up to this. I want to live up to the measure of the stature of Christ. Change me. Grow me up, right? I will not shy away from your rod and your staff and your discipline because you want to take me to a place that I've not been before. Just because I couldn't do it before, um, I went out golfing with Rick the other day to a top golf and David and Simba and man, Simba was a natural. I don't know. He just is. He's natural at everything. Me, it took me an hour to figure out if I was going to swing right-handed or left-handed. I finally started swinging right-handed because I was so bad left-handed. They say, if you're bad left-handed, why don't you try right-handed? It can't be any worse. Thank you for that. Yeah. It was pretty close. Pretty close. I think they said, if you're uncomfortable with it left-handed, why don't you try right-handed? <laughs> that sounds better. But what it meant was, you're so horrible left-handed, you're not going to do any worse right-handed. Try it. <laughs> what have you got to lose? Well, by the very end, I actually could get him going one direction. That was pretty good. Yeah. But here's the thing, you know, if you're going to do something that you've not done before, you're not, you, just because I've not been able to do it doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to do it in the future. What do you need? You need some practice, some discipline, some training, right? And if you, you know, if I took the time, whether I will or not, we'll see. But if I took the time and went to a driving range and practiced, you know, in a, in a, in a matter of time, I will improve. And I'll be able to do what I couldn't do before. There are things in God that he wants to take us to so that you and I can do that we've not done before. And just because my experience says I tried that and I couldn't do it does not mean that God doesn't want me doing it. I'm not going to give my experiences more credibility than God. God, change me. I've not been able to do it so far. I can see that. This is where you want me to go. This is what Jesus looked like. He is my example. Take me there. I'll give you, I'm going to believe you. Give God more credibility than your fears. Come on, fear is a big motivator in a negative way. How many times do we not do things because we're fearful? And we need to not, we need to learn how to laugh at our fears, man. <laughs> One preacher, I can't remember who it was. He said, doubt your doubts. Think about that. Doubt your doubts. That's good, isn't it? 
You know, because we, we live, man, I don't know if it'll, I'm, I'm, doubt that. Believe God. Give God more credibility than your, what your, you know, what people in your life are telling you. Look, if you've got good, godly people in your life who are encouraging you, great. Praise the Lord. That's a gift of God. But not everybody's going to understand what God's doing with you either. Sometimes you've got to cling to God in the face of what people are telling you. Especially the voice of the world, man. The people in the world, they're not going to ever understand you. And if they understand you, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> because they can't understand you. Their darkness, your light. That's the way it's supposed to be. They're not going to be able to understand you. So these things, the Bible says, should be following us in our Christian experience. Goodness and mercy, provision, and supernatural should all be following us. And if we're not experiencing those, stay close to your shepherd. Seek the kingdom and be established in what you believe. Amen? That's good, isn't it? I want to read this very last verse just as I close. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. This is a bold statement by the Apostle Paul. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. King James says, be, be followers of me as I am of Christ. Come on, that's bold. We don't say that. Hey, come on, follow me. I'm following Jesus. You and I should be living lives that people can follow us. And in following us and modeling their lives after us, they should be also following Jesus. Does our life really model that? It did for Paul. Follow me. I'm following God. Come on, I'll show you how we do it. We're supposed to know him and walk with him like that. So get close to your shepherd. Seek God's order. Seek his kingdom. Be established in what you believe and live a life that's worth emulating. <laughs> live a life that's worth following. Come on. It's up to us to live a life that's worth following. There are people out there who, if, they, if we don't do this, they'll never see truth. They'll never see Jesus. They'll never experience him. You with me? Let's do it. I really believe God wants to take us to a place in a church, in our church. And I believe that, you know, some of these things he's, 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 he's wanting us to understand so that we do not shy away from the discipline. Come on, we've walked through things together these last couple of years, haven't we? We've seen different challenges. Man, how many of you could say that God's delivered me out of them all? Yes. I mean, praise God. Praise God. Well, I got news for you. There'll probably be more. And like the Apostle Peter said, don't be surprised when it happens. But rejoice because the spirit of God's glory is upon you. And we're going to keep on going. The next one might be bigger, but the victory will be bigger. Right? Come on. Praise God. That's good. Let's go do it this holiday season. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Let this challenge us. Let this uh, go into my life, into my heart, Lord, and uh, cause it to uh, take me to uh, greater things in the spirit, greater things in the kingdom, Lord. Father, we just, our desire here in this church is to represent Jesus to the world. Father God, and I thank you for that work in our lives and let it become a reality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.